Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What's up, Dolph fans, and welcome into the Wednesday, January the 17th edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here as always to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, I've got three things I want to discuss with you guys coaching changes, the 2012 Miami Dolphins, and Jarvis Landry drama, more of it to come. But first, of course, I have to remind you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating and review. That rating helps us climb the iTunes chart, helps us get out to more Dolphins, just really, really helps us out big time. So we really, really appreciate that if you guys go ahead and do that for us. Also, follow me on Twitter at Winkfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked on Fins. You guys can find tons of good content on there, whether it's daily tweeting, GIFs, whatever it might be, tons and tons of good content on Twitter. And speaking of good content, LockedOnDolphins.com has really, really ramped it up with our content production over there. I have been producing stuff like crazy the last couple of weeks, as well as our team of writers getting stuff up there every single day for you guys. Check out LockedOnDolphins.com. And lastly, but not leastly, check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, including the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. And I wanted to go ahead and just jump right into things today because I, I'm my plan is to make this a quick show. Not a lot of content to talk about, but we have a few things I can I can dive into. And obviously with the Ryan Tannehill stuff, I've been doing plenty of stuff to talk about there as well. But just kind of some things circulating the team right now and the current 2018 team that we're look, looking to build for this upcoming season as uh, the 2018 offseason probably cannot get by fast enough for us Dolph fans with all of the problems and, and injuries and just crazy circumstances that happened this season. I know I can't wait for it. So the first changes coming have kind of already occurred. Adam Gaze is, is really clearing house in terms of his coaching staff. And what I found kind of weird about the whole situation was how many coaches he kept on from Joe Philbin's staff. I think Joe Philbin's staff is just about completely removed, except for like Darren Rizzi and a couple other guys. But for the most part, I mean, even the team doctor was let go yesterday. So a complete internal overhaul at the coaching positions and and, and there will be a bunch of new positional head positional coaches we all already know about Dowell Loggins obviously Matt Burke remains as the defensive coordinator so the main guys in place but the position coaches still to come are still some changes to come I should say and one guy we can really look at for a probably I don't want to say a for sure signing but would be would it make it would make a lot of sense to bring this guy on and that is of course the Seattle Seahawks former defensive coordinator Chris Richard a defensive backs coach by trade worked with Legion of Boom for a while there up in Seattle he has kind of the same mold and prototype in terms of what kind of players he coaches up and what kind of things he asks them to do as what Miami has been building for the last couple of years and you guys know by now that our cornerbacks are all long and they're physical and they can play the press they can do all that kinds of stuff so even though the and we talked about with Kevin Dern on the podcast on Sunday night slash Monday when you guys probably heard it, but we talked a little bit about how there was there was more man concepts this season, and you know Matt Burke kind of had to get out of his zone preference that he likes to go with from the Vance Joseph era, as well as going back to Kevin Coyle even back when Joe Philbin was still around. But the Dolphins figured to have a defensive backs coach with that same mindset, and Chris Richard would certainly fill that role. So it's I I, I think he's probably a good bet to be hired as the Dolphins defensive backs coach. I mean, that obviously can change. You never know exactly what's going to happen, but I would not be surprised one bit to see him brought on. But just talking about the coaching staff in general, we've seen the running backs coach fired now, the defensive line coach fired now. I mentioned the, the doctor 
or the head doctor, whatever you call it, the defensive backs coach, Lou Anarumo, who he got some praise from some guys that I respect on Twitter, like Ian Wharton, for instance, one of the guys that has been a friend of the program now for a while. He talked about how Lou Anarumo kind of groomed some good young cornerbacks and brought them along in this system. And, you know, we all knew what Tony Lippett did two years ago before the injury. Xavier Howard, kind of a late bloomer, but he came on here towards the end of 2017. And then Bobby McCain, the same same thing as Xavier Howard, a late bloomer in his own right. His third year comes on and has the best year of his career. But he got some success out of some guys that really, I mean, fifth round draft picks, you know, Cordray Tankersley played pretty well early on, a third round draft pick. And it's tough to kind of attribute credit for those types of things that you don't really know exactly what's going on unless you're behind the scenes and you're there every single day so we don't have the best insight but the best insight I can give you is those guys did play pretty well under Anarumo but there also was a ton of communication breakdowns in the secondary so you kind of figure well if it's not Rashad Jones's fault if it's not you know Byron Maxwell's cut it's still happening then whose fault is it you kind of have to think maybe the defensive backs coach isn't getting it done in their meeting rooms I mean they spend more times they spend more time with these positional coaches than they do their own wives and families so it's an important relationship. I mean, it's it's one of those things in football that really gets overlooked. I mean, a coaching staff can be anywhere from 15 to 20 guys or whatever it is, and we don't talk about them. We talk about the head coach, we talk about the play caller, and if your defense sucks, you talk about the defensive coordinator too. So these these positional coaches don't get a lot of love, but they do a lot of work. They put in a lot of time, and it's, it's a really important, you know, it's important to fill out a good staff. So the Dolphins, hopefully Adam Gase can kind of remake this group and remake the staff in a way that he sees fit and some guys that can really kind of work in the same way he does compared to what the guys that worked with Joe Philbin did. So plenty of changes to come. We will be all over that here on the Miami Dolphins Locked On Dolphins podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield at Wingfield NFL. we got more to talk about on the show, including the 2012 Miami Dolphins centered around that Ryan Tannehill project. And of course, more Jarvis Landry drama coming down the pipe. Won't want to miss that here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Locked on Dolphins, we're trying to be your home for all things offseason Miami Dolphins, your source for all the news when it comes to free agency, the draft, all the college all-star games coming down the pipe. And speaking of those college all-star games, we have the Shrine game up this weekend and then the Senior Bowl up next weekend. I'm going to be covering those extensively. If you guys are big fans of the draft like I am, NFL Network will put the Senior Bowl practices up on TV throughout the course of the day. They'll do some of the one-on-one drills, some of the team drills. And I tell you what, those one-on-one drills, I have picked out players that I wasn't really familiar with in the past on those one-on-one drills. And I have picked them out and said, wow, that guy can do a certain, a couple of certain things very, very well. And they've turned out to be great players. And the first one to to make that this, or not, not, not the first one, the most recent one to do that was Tredavious White this past year with Buffalo Bills. He was my favorite cornerback in the class after Sidney Jones went down with that injury just before the draft. But Tredavious White had an awesome senior bowl. I put that to you know my knowledge and to my kind of in the memory bank and said, that's a guy that I want. The Bills end up taking him. He has a great rookie season. So you can really find out a lot about guys in those one-on-one drills. And then this week, the Shrine game, a little bit lesser, you know, lower level types of guys, lower profile types of guys that get invited to that game. But all these guys figure to get a chance at possibly the combine as well as the draft too. So keep an eye out for all that. We'll be your home for all of that coverage. And of course, on LockedOnDolphins.com as well as at Wingfield NFL on Twitter, you guys have seen me what do we want to call myself now? The ultimate defender of Ryan Tannehill. I just, you know, that's a weird moniker to have because people will give me a lot of flack for he hasn't put up a certain amount of stats. He hasn't won a certain amount of games. I saw one today that he hasn't gone to enough Pro Bowls. And I was thinking, well, what does that mean? That goes off of stats and fan votes. And when you have the fans voting and you have Tom Brady and Ben Roethlisberger and Peyton Manning in your conference forever, as well as Andrew Luck and, and others too, to go off of that, Phil Rivers, obviously Derek Carr last year. Anyway, besides the point, 
how are you going to get to the Pro Bowl? They only invite three guys every year. I know that there's always alternates, but that's that's not even a really you know a good distinction. But who cares about Pro Bowls? It's a popularity contest amongst stat watchers. That's not what I do. I study the film. I post the GIFs. I chart the passes, which is something I started doing with Ryan Tannehill. And I wanted to go over his 2012 stats with you guys. Not stats, his charting because I have that finished. And so this is going to be an exclusive thing here on the podcast. I will post it probably, I don't know when the project's going to be done. I'm, I'm hoping for about a month away. I have a lot of film to get to before I can get that up. I haven't even written the 2012 season out yet. I just have the raw numbers from 2012. So I'm going to go ahead and share those with you guys now. And then we'll come back to that on the column side when it comes out on the LockdownDolphins.com page. And we'll go ahead and look at it then again and kind of compare it to the entire season as well as compare it to other quarterbacks around the NFL and just kind of see where Tannehill weighs out. But looking at his 2012 chart, there really aren't a whole lot of surprises. I mean, you guys know that I've been beating the drum. It's not about what can a, what does a quarterback not do well. It's all about what does a quarterback do well. And what does Ryan Tannehill do well? He throws well outside of the pocket and he throws fantastically and from play action. And what are his two most important or his most impressive traits in this project? Throwing from outside the pocket and play action passing. On play action passes, he threw catchable passes on 84% of said throws. That was a very, very high mark, his highest percentage among this entire category, and that includes throws behind the line of scrimmage. So Ryan Tannehill, more efficient throwing from play action than he is throwing behind the line of scrimmage, screens, swing passes, that kind of thing. Versus pressure, another very impressive number, 73.2% catchable balls, higher than his non-pressure throws of 70% across the entire field. So very impressive there. 69% in the red zone, 51%, 20-plus yards on the field. Can't throw a deep ball? That was his Mike Wallace thing. In 2012, he was just fine throwing to Charles Clay and Brian Hartline down the field. And then if you look at the way the pat, the ball was distributed throughout the field, right, left, and center, to the right, he was 71%. To the middle of the field, 75%. And then to the left, 63%. So right is a lot higher than the left. And although my, my film study told me that he had trouble processing information in the middle of the field, that's where things kind of move around a lot and you can get some of those you know tipped balls or throws into coverage. Yeah, you're going to complete a higher percentage of those passes because they're closer inside and they're, they're, they're a closer throw. So the the catchable percentage is going to be higher, but looking at the right compared to the left, I think that has to do with Brian Hartline and then the mix match of guys he had on the left side. There was a real comfort level with Brian Hartline. He ran that right side of the field more often than not, so a big completion percentage change there or catchable ball percentage change there to the right side of the field. Just a few more notes on that for you guys here real quick. The Dolphins that year dropped 26 passes. 26 balls. That's a lot of incomplete passes that should have been completed. Five of those would have been touchdowns. That's insane. And he had zero balls that would have should have been picked off that were not. If the DB guy's hands on the ball, a catchable ball, he picked it off. Dolphins also dropped 10 first downs that year and had four passes that were batted and picked off. So tipped passes, 13 or four of his 13 passes that were intercepted were on tipped passes. Six of them because of a bad read where he didn't identify a certain coverage and threw it into coverage and then just one pass because of bad accuracy. He is, one thing that I look at for quarterbacks is how well do they hit the layups, the easy throws, the gimmies, the ones you got to have, the ones that keep you on schedule. I think NFL quarterbacks should hit those 99 times out of 100. Some guys don't. A lot of guys do. Tannehill is one of the guys that does, and in this area, he was sharp as well. So only one bad accuracy interception, throwing the ball very well in the short areas and keeping his team on schedule. So Proficient, proficient play action passer, proficient in the red zone, proficient outside of the pocket, just a really solid rounded year in those areas, but he had struggles in other areas. Obviously the sacks, he took 35 of them, 24 were unavoidable, and that's where either a couple of guys get beat and they close in right away, or one guy gets beat and just smacks him. 11 were his fault where he has time to maneuver and he steps into a sack or doesn't see a read and doesn't throw the ball away quick enough, so just some struggles there. 
And I also have third down and fourth down numbers for you guys, but I have not put those into the system yet. So we'll get to that later down the line. But Ryan Tannehill's 2012 season incomplete. The Dolphins as a whole that year, I mean, the offense was based on three types of plays in the passing game. It was either Brian Hartline on some kind of comeback, go route, or back shoulder throw just against one-on-one coverage on the outside. Devon Bess on the inside where he's pretty good with a little wiggle and getting some separation, and he had to get a one-on-one opportunity in the middle of the field to go ahead and take advantage of that. Or Anthony Fasano on like a quick stick route or a hitch route or a dump, something really quickly where they get to Fasano, get the ball out of Tannehill's hands. And then beyond that, it was just Ryan Tannehill or Reggie Bush making a play. So that offense was really, really limited. Offensive line play was pretty good, but the receiving set and the skill players were just dreadful so that 2012 season a very rough situation for Ryan Tannehill to come into bad play calling bad coaching bad skill set it's really it's a miracle that he survived so Tannehill 2012 season those are your guys' numbers for the catchable passes the charting that'll be up on the website lockedondolphins.com in a month or so I don't know with an accompanied by an entire article and gifs and all the gamut that I've talked about forever with you guys so keep an eye out for that on lockedondolphins.com this is the Locked On Dolphins podcast your host Travis Wingfield at Wingfield NFL and let's talk about Jarvis Landry here in just one second and real quickly before we get out of here for this brief episode of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, Armando Salguero po- posted a column today about Jarvis Landry and why the Dolphins may not bring him back on a new contract in Miami and how he might have to walk from Miami. And he said there is a backstory, and he quoted that several times with quotations around it, backstory as to why Jarvis Landry could possibly walk in free agency and not be welcomed back by the Dolphins in Everything the Dolphins do is at their price. That's how teams operate. We're going to work at this price. If it doesn't fit what you want to do, you know that's tough. That's how the Dolphins operate under Mike Tannenbaum, and it's a good mode to have. That way you don't overpay for free agents. You don't overpay for your own guys. You don't get yourself in a cap situation that's problematic, which is something they're already having to deal with. So, you know, you got to have a little bit of balance there. But they were so vehement in defending the fact that they wanted Kenny Stills back last year, haven't done the same thing for Jarvis Landry. But Armando Salguero's post talking about how this is some revolutionary new thing, don't take that guy's word for any value. I mean, he's just a kind of a mouthpiece for whoever's in the organization feeding this stuff out, probably trying to get Landry's contract lowered. But they talked about how in the beginning of the season, he wasn't necessarily one of the guys that would bring his playbook home or he wasn't prepared or he'd run the wrong route or he'd be in the wrong spot. And I think there's some validity to that. I mean, Coach Gay stepped to the podium and said as much, talked about how some of our best players, and he said, quote, best players wouldn't bring their homework or their, their work home with them, and it showed. They weren't prepared. They weren't playing as well as they should. And one of those main culprits was Jay Ajayi, and look what happened to him. He got shipped off. And this is after that Baltimore game when Gaze had that famous press conference where he said, everything sucks, we suck, we're terrible, I'm sick of this nonsense offense. And they're talking about gutting house on offense and, and cleaning house and gutting the entire thing. And so then they ship off Jay Ajayi, and then Jarvis Landry was kind of one of the guys that was in that mix. And if you guys follow CK Parrot, Chris Kaufman on Twitter, he had some good stuff talking about how Jarvis Landry wasn't doing things the right way in that Jets game. He was running some poor routes. He was dropping some balls. He had lack of effort on some things, and it kind of did show up a little bit, and you saw that. So don't just blame everything on the offense, on the quarterback, and on the offensive line. I mean, that's the easy thing to do because Jay Cutler's terrible, which he is. He's one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL last year. The offensive line is an easy punching bag. Everyone can just, you know, say, ah, the offensive line sucks. That's why we're bad. But just because the names at receivers are nice doesn't mean they always play that way. I mean, guys have bad games. Guys that aren't superstars have more bad games than superstars do. And Jarvis Landry, he's not a superstar. He's a very good receiver. He's not one of the best in the league. But, I mean, he's not completely impervious to playing bad he had some bad games so you see how that kind of impacted Gaze's opinion of him and obviously the fight at the end of the year so 
the way all this kind of adds up to me, I mean, I've talked about it a million times. I had Joe Shad talk about it on the podcast, Ian Wharton, Kevin Dern. Everyone gives our Jarvis Landry two cents. I think if you ask me at this moment, I think he'll be franchise tagged and then we'll just see where it goes from there. It could be a potential transitional tag slash franchise tag and trade situation. I'm not really sure. I don't want to get into much speculation there, but I think Jarvis Landry doesn't hit free agency. I think he's going to be under the tag or, you know, a tag and then get a long-term contract or a tag and get traded in some type of fashion. He will be wrapped up in terms of the contract situation before the, the franchise tag deadline passes. So Landry going to be a really, really sticky situation throughout the course of the offseason. We'll keep you guys updated on that here on Lockdown Dolphins podcast. And that's going to do it for today's podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show, leave us a rating and review, and check out the other Locked On Sports podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. And of course, check out the Locked On NFL Facebook page and at Locked On NFL on Twitter. And check out all the cool stuff we're doing at LockedOnDolphins.com for all your written daily Dolphins content needs. We will be back tomorrow with another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.